Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR, hoping all of you are staying healthy in these difficult times. As always, I'm joined by fellow co-founder Evan Silva. And today, with the NFL draft just two short weeks away, we're joined by a special guest. This is a young man who studies draft eligible, draft eligible prospects as hard as anyone. He's a lead draft analyst for our friends at Pro Football Focus. And most importantly, most importantly, I presume he's one of the captains of Hashtag Team Sex after his appearance on The Bachelor. It is PFF's Mike Renner. Mike, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I don't think captain, I don't think that's fair. I don't think I'm up to that level yet, but mm-hmm. maybe someday. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to do a whole podcast with you where we just talk about that because uh, people who have listened for a long time know uh, that is among my big interests. But today we're going to focus on the draft. Evan, what's going on? What's going on? So <clears throat> I got to tell you the backstory of how I, I met Mike Renner just extremely randomly. So I was at uh, a Chicago bar with my brother. And all of a sudden I see this guy at the bar with a ponytail. And, you know, I don't really... I don't know, uh, you know, many guys with ponytails. But this man was a beautiful human being. <laughs> and I, I, I thought I recognized him. And this was, you know, Mike Renner wasn't as big as he is now at that time, although he had done – it's The Bachelorette, not The Bachelor, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. And he was, like, kind of on the come up. And he was, like, moving up at PFF. And so, you know, he – I mean, he easily could have shrugged me off, but after a few minutes, I was like, yo, this is Mike Renner. I got to introduce myself. Look, the the dog bark for um, for Renner, uh, because, you know, we had talked a few times before that, I think, on social media, and he was, he was cool as hell, and we talked for like an hour, but yeah, Mike Renner, he's the man, no question, and it's going to be a great opportunity to talk some football. You left out the key part where you tackled me at the bar to introduce yourself. That was, that was a key. And, and this wasn't That's just like a normal, this was like a collegey. This was a pretty young skewing bar. Did not expect to be seeing Evan Silva, the legend at this bar, but it's great. <laughs> well, my brother was like 19 at the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, fake ID and all that. Whoa, know? whoa, whoa. Violating the terms of service. There we go. Okay. Um, what I wanted to do today was look at the quarterbacks and the, and the running backs in this class. Obviously, we're leaning towards fantasy, but real football. Also, mm-hmm. next week, Evan and I will be back to look at wide receivers and tight ends. On the site, you'll find Evan's first mock draft, which the haters are currently commenting on. The haters are currently spewing off tons of comments on Evan's first mock draft. I will say, Evan, if you go back and look, and there's all these people that, that track this stuff. I mean, I, I can't believe these people have any sex at all, but they're actually tracking the accuracy of mock drafts, which is so crazy to me. But Evan has consistently finished in the top two or the top three over the last few years. I uh, also have Pat Corain's Sleepers articles coming up. I'm working on some threshold stuff. Lots more coming. It's all free. Obviously, all Mike's stuff you can find on Pro Football Focus. We'll let him plug some of that stuff at the end. But I want to get to it here. And let's start with the quarterbacks in this class. I think widely expected to be no more than four quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Joe Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert, and Jordan Love. I want to start with Mike here. Do you think all four of those guys who are projected to go in the first round of the quarterback position are actually first round worthy? I do not. And I think after the top two, there's a steep, steep drop off. And I think we'll almost see that come draft day with, you know, Burrow to a going early. And then you could even see if the, you know, the Chargers really are not sold on Herbert. You could see one of uh, those top guys slide a bit into the twenties and, and uh, 
maybe even, you know, to like that range of teams looking for that guy in the future, the, you know, the Pats, the Steelers, those sort of things, or not Steelers, but the Saints, those sort of teams. So uh, I just, there's too many question marks with one, Justin Herbert, we've seen him play for four years, like, and not improve in terms of the things you wanted to see him improve. He was basically the same guy that he was when he was really starting, you know, full time as a sophomore, not much has changed. And then Jordan Love, just the decision-making, like as many bad decisions as he's made with football. And it's not just the decision-making, there's other things too, like inaccuracy uh, and, you know, inconsistency with his footwork and those sort of things that you're banking on him cleaning up a lot to get to even a level where he'd be able to play in the NFL to where, I mean, you're drafting that in the first round, you're calling him like your future, your guy. That's just, that's a lot for me to get on board with. Mm-hmm. From a uh, team building perspective, you know, I think there's some people who would say, hey, listen, we're just going to keep taking, if we don't have a quarterback, we're just going to keep taking them and taking them and taking them in the draft until we hit on one and we have a rookie uh, quarterback on a uh, rookie scale deal like uh, Dak mm-hmm. Prescott or Russ Wilson, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's some merit to reaching up at the quarterback position. Evan, I'm curious for you, where do you think the holes are with Justin Herbert? And Jordan Love, and do you also not consider them true first-round talents? You know, quarterback evaluation is, like, not my strong suit. I don't really think it's the strong suit of anybody. I mean, you can look, even look at the NFL's results, and over, like, the last decade, even the hit rate on first-round quarterbacks is, like, 35 maybe 40%. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really hard. What, like, I'm, I'm mostly focused right now on just trying to figure out where the guys are going to go. Um, you know, for, for the mock drafts, but also just because, I mean, the draft capital, draft capital that these teams are willing to spend on the players is indicative of not only their talent, but also how many opportunities they're going to get. Like players that are drafted higher, taken higher in the draft tend to get more opportunities for obvious reasons because teams spent more on them. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do right now. I mean, you know, I, I went on with uh, Eric Eager and um, and uh, George Chiruri uh, on their show, the PFF Forecast, and you know, Eric's just like Jordan Love is like not good. You know, he's like he's you know you know like Eric's just super blunt, and he's like Jordan Love not good. Um, Herbert is interesting because you know Mike Lombardi uh, has talked about how he thinks that Herbert could go higher than Tua uh, in the draft, which would shock everyone. Um, but I just thought that that was interesting. And I think that we know that Joe Burrow is locked into, uh, you know, number one overall. I mean, Jordan Love is athletic and he's sort of like a new wave quarterback. Like I really think that the league is very much trending and this may be obvious to some, but very, but like when you see the commenters, you know, they, they always talk about, Oh, you know, you like, I mean, Lamar Jackson is still getting ripped for, you know, his, his passing ability after he led the NFL in touchdown passes. Like, but just that and, – and Josh Allen is not a very good passer, right? But he has been a pretty functional quarterback because he's been outstanding with his legs. So – and Jordan Love wasn't that productive. I think he only had nine rushing touchdowns in college. Uh, but he does have that athletic quality. And, you know, I think that that's where the league is headed. And I feel like that could help him uh, in terms of like where he actually lands in the draft. Yeah, I'm sure, Evan, you've seen the reports of Jordan Love to the Patriots and and people seem to be making this connection a lot. Where do you think that's coming from? And do you see Jordan Love as a fit with the Patriots? I don't know. That's where I have him going in my mock draft. But, 
you know, it's, it's throwing darts right now. Um, and another thing is that this offseason, because, you know, there were no owners meetings, because um, people are not out, you know, uh, scouts and uh, executives are not out on the pro day trail, like there's not as much people talking with each other mm -hmm. right now. You know, there's not as much chatter, so not as much information is getting out. So it's going to be kind of like the wild, wild west. I think there's going to be shocking Shocking. I mean, I think it's going to be like the most surprising draft ever. And the draft is one of the great things about the draft is that it is so surprising. But I think that this is going to be maybe one of the most surprising drafts ever. Um, I want to move on to some later round guys, but I do want to spend a minute on Burrow and Tua. I want to ask Mike, everybody knows about Tua's injuries, right? He had the high ankle sprain last season, comes back a few weeks later, then gets hurt again. And it's kind of a, an injury we don't have a lot of data on. Dislocated hip. I think it was a fracture in his hip also to go with a concussion. If he actually recovers from this and is 100% as he says, let's say he had no injury flags whatsoever on his report, uh, how would you compare his NFL outlook to Joe Burrow? Because to me, it's at least within the range of outcomes for sure that Tua ends up being the better player than Joe Burrow. Yeah, they were pretty close in terms of just evaluation because you have to factor in, you know, Joe Joe Burrow played bad football and Joe Burrow, you know, in 2018 and was older. Tua really, even as a true freshman, was not playing bad football. Like he, he's always played at a high level. Now he didn't, you know, take it to the next stratosphere like Joe Burrow did this past year, but he had, you know, realistically, if he would have played two more years in college, he could have gotten to that level. We just don't know. So like you said, it's not within the range of outcomes to siege, you know, Tua Tungvaluwa be a better player in the NFL than Joe Burrow. It's very possible, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to pass up what I just saw from Joe Burrow. Like that was a special, special season as a passer. Uh, there's so many st stats that he just like broke in our system in terms of accuracy mm -hmm. and production. That was just, there's no way you can pass on him at number one overall, but any other year, Joe Burrow doesn't exist in Tua talking about low is healthy. We're not having a conversation. I think he's the number one overall pick. Sure. Let me ask you, let me ask you this, Mike. Yeah. So how do you parse out these elite supporting casts from, you know, the, from the quarterback's individual play? Like, I think this is one of the hardest things to do, but I mean, Tua had what, you know, and he had uh, Ruggs and um, Judy and uh, the other kid who's uh, coming Devontae up. He's not eligible yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he had uh, great running back talent. And even Burrow had uh, an excellent, excellent uh, supporting cast. And then we don't really hear about Herbert or Love supporting casts at all. So how do you parse out the individual talent of the quarterback with their supporting cast? Yeah, it's tough. And I even said like last year about Daniel Jones with how bad he had it at Duke that it would almost be easier for him in the NFL. Like once he got to the Giants, he would have better protection than he did at Duke. So, oh, and, that's, and you like Daniel Jones. I remember that. A, a little, I liked him more than I still would have taken him sixth, yeah. but more than I, I probably would have taken him where like Haskins went at 15. But I do think that uh, you just have to judge, you know, what you can in terms of every play, like every play you have to say, what could he have possibly done on this play and then judge it from that lens and not just look at the raw stats, not just look at the totals, but actually dig a little deeper than that. And with Tua, there, like there are some concerns with him and that first read was like the guy he went to first and, you know, read the coverage. Where does that tell me to go? That guy was like almost open you know, so many, so many times. And, and I think we, with the stat was he only went past his first read 99 times over the last two years. 
which is just a crazy rate, you know, that every time he looked at his guy, he was usually open because of how much talent they had, you know, like three first round wide receivers. And the other thing that doesn't get mentioned is he probably had three first round tackles that he played behind uh, at Alabama as well. So really as ideal situation as you can get, but then also like the accuracy numbers were good. Like when he did throw it down the football field, you know, when a guy is on a dead sprint down the football field, he was putting it where it needs to be. And he had some fast wide receivers and they weren't having to slow up. He was hitting them in stride. So that's all you can really judge. And I think that's a big reason why the NFL does struggle with evaluations and why I think they're more likely to give a guy like Jordan Love a chance at the next level because his sporting cast was so bad. And because he had such a situation where none of those guys he played with are playing in the NFL. And, you know, he goes to the LSU game and, like no one was going to throw for 300 yards in that game. I don't care if it's Peyton Manning in his prime, they were so for match. So uh, it's, it is difficult. It is probably the most difficult thing when it comes to quarterback evaluation. Yeah. And, and to me, it's also a scheme thing, right? Like, I mean, you can't compare some of the schemes these guys were in compared to what Joe Brady was running at LSU. I mean, it was just so uh, favorable to what uh, Joe Burrow was able to do. So um, yeah, it's super well, interesting. See in the NFL, I mean, Brian Tannehill goes from, the Dolphins to the Titans. Yep. And it's like, what changed? Did Tannehill himself change? I don't think so. Like, it's just the situation and what was around him. Uh, okay. I want to move on past these top four guys. For Mike, is there anyone else in this class that you would consider a quote unquote likely NFL starter? I think, mm, so this one's tough because I think from Jake Fromm from Georgia can play in the NFL. I think he can start in the NFL. I don't think you'll be a good starter. But I think he like has all the like the tools necessary to start in terms of processing quickly, getting the ball off his hands, not taking sacks, getting it where it needs to go. Now he doesn't have a particularly strong arm, and he's not you know on the level of Tua or Joe Burrow in terms of accuracy. But like those things can get you at least in the door. I'll say. Mm-hmm. Now I don't think like I said like his ceiling's probably Kirk Cousins, but like, and that would be a, a massive win if he even got to that level. But uh, I do think he has outside of that top group, at least the tools to play quarter, the ability to play quarterback in the NFL. Evan, anybody else outside the top four you think can start in the NFL? And do you have a favorite sleeper maybe for the people at the quarterback position? We have to ask Mike about Jalen hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to ask about one more guy. Yeah. Jaylen I mean, guys, I'm actually excited about Jalen hurts just from a fantasy perspective, because when guys run for 1300 right. yards and, 20 touchdowns uh, at the college level. I'm always excited for fantasy. I also, I saw Matt Bowen gave Jalen Hurts a Dak Prescott comp, which I have no idea if that's accurate Mm -hmm. or not. But uh, yeah, do you think Jalen Hurts has a chance to make a fantasy impact here? Because dude is obviously uh, has the tools that we're looking for as fantasy players. Let let, let me say this about Jalen Hurts. So I remember watching him early in his career at Alabama, just because I was watching like OJ Howard, you know? And I was like, my God, this dude is awful. (laughs) <laughs> like Jalen Hurts looked awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you even if you're in like like I've done a couple of dynasty drafts recently and like smart, like sharp drafters have been taking Jalen Hurts, like Rich Rebar, and you know, I he's got a, a immense fantasy upside. But go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so there's two different things here. I think he has a high floor because of his rushing ability. Like if he goes to an offense that is going to really utilize that, like when Tyrod Taylor was with the Bills. If you go to an offense that buys in and 
the Chargers are like reportedly one of those teams that could be, you know, Anthony Lynn was the coach of, you know, Tyrod Taylor back when he was with the Bills. So that could be a landing spot for him. If you're a team that buys in with that, I think he has a high floor and that rushing offense, that's like a proven track record of success when you have a quarterback that that's, that's that dynamic as a runner. But as a passer, if you're not going to stick him in that favorable offense, if you're just going to ask him to do normal draft back passing stuff, just the processing, the quick decision-making and the accuracy, not quite there. It's just not quite there, especially down the football field. So he played in an offense this year at Oklahoma to where in our system, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray uh, were in the top three in big time throws, which is like our special downfield throws sort of category in the past two seasons. Jalen Hurts only had 18 this past year, which is like outside the top 50. Like he just didn't make those in the same offense, similar levels of talent, didn't make near the amount of throws that those guys did. So he's just not there as a passer. But I think, like I said, that high floor of his rushing ability combined with, you know, he protects the football, doesn't make bad decisions, isn't going to turn the ball over for you. There's a path to success. And, and again, a fantasy realm, like he can actually put up points in that regard. So it just takes a team that's going to buy in but if you're not drafting a guy in the first, second round, I'm not sure you're going to buy in. So his, be- his best case might be to go to like Ravens as a backup uh, somewhere like that. You know, the Texans as a backup, something like that's already been done. Yeah. And one thing from draft capital perspective, and I don't know if Evan's thought about this when doing mocks and stuff, but um, the way that Lamar has impacted the NFL, the way that Taysom Hill, even in limited chance, impact the NFL, like other teams are going to be like, well, maybe we can do it with. Taysom Hill like maybe we can do it with Jalen Hurts so I think there might be more of a leaning towards push a guy like Jalen Hurts up draft boards because now it's been shown that it can be done at the NFL level are you following me Evan yeah absolutely um and last guy I wanted to ask about was this dude James Morgan from Florida International um he's been generating some buzz like there was even a story on profootballtalk.com that the Patriots were into James Morgan. Can you tell us a little bit about him? This one, I've not understood whatsoever. Uh, like the, nothing from a grading perspective. He had a grade in the sixties last year at PFF. Uh, and not only to like, yes, he didn't have great talent around him at FIU, but like, he's just so inconsistently accurate that, you know, being six, five and with a big arm only gets you so far. Like you have to be accurate with the football and he just wasn't. So I, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, doesn't make even quick decisions and took some like bad sacks. Doesn't have good pocket presence. So this one's a head scratcher to me. If I'm, if I'm taking a look at a big armed late round quarterback, it would be the Oregon state guy, Jake Luton. Uh, if I'm taking any shot on one of those guys, but uh, the FIU guy, James Morgan, I, I'm not really sure what to make of them and the hype. I don't, I don't see it at all. All right, Mike, for the people, your favorite sleeper in this quarterback class, the guy that you would love to take a shot on late. This one's tough. I, I think there's there's a few guys who are real small. There's a real small school guy in San Jose State's Josh Love, who I really like, but I'm, I'm not even sure he gets drafted. More realistically, I think Anthony Gordon from Washington State, I would take my chance on him because if you kind of throw away the Utah tape, which was like disastrously bad, and that was one of his like fifth starts of his career, if you throw away that tape, he looks, I mean, he's fairly consistently accurate with football. And he has some of that, some of that if factor that uh, Mike Leach QBs tend to have, where it's just like the play needs to be made. He made it a lot of the times and, you know, uh, makes throws from sidearm, you know, sort of that playmaking ability that you can't coach that like Justin Herbert doesn't have, like the robotic guy. He's not that whatsoever. So I'll take my chance on a guy like that late. 
uh, in the draft, uh, especially after only, you know, such a small sample size, only one year as a starter. Um, okay. And Evans first mock, obviously he has Joe Burrow going first to Cincinnati. He has the chargers trading up to get Tua at number three. He has, uh, Justin Herbert slipping all the way to 18 to the dolphins where they'll be waiting. And then 23rd, he has the aforementioned Jordan love going to new England. I'm sure Evan, that will change a bunch as you get more information before the actual draft. Let's move on to the running back position. And I think we need to start near the top because there's already some controversy. I think there's already some disconnect. And I noticed Evan commented on it too. Like analytics Twitter, uh, fantasy Twitter, draft Twitter is like extremely aroused at the prospect, the profile of Jonathan Taylor. But I know, Evan, that you've already suggested that maybe the NFL is not as excited about Jonathan Taylor. And that's a bit concerning in fantasy because we know how important draft capital is. So we need your Jonathan Taylor take because people are taking him at 1.01 in Dynasty already. I just don't mm-hmm. see him being a receiver. Go ahead. I just don't see him being, being a receiving threat at the next level is the biggest thing. Like he had eight drops on well, 50 catchable passes issue. in that's his career. Yeah. Wait, and that's, whoa, whoa, God. What was that stat? Say that again. Eight drops on 50 catchable passes in his career, which is disastrous. And yes, they tried to feature more this past year. But like his routes still didn't impress me whatsoever. Like if you're drafting a guy and like you almost have to nowadays who has to impact the passing game, you're going to take a half a dozen backs in this class before him. Hmm. So Evan, are you uh, not on board with Jonathan Taylor as the 1.01 if you were doing a dynasty rookie draft right now? No, I am. I just think that the NFL is not as high on Jonathan Taylor as analytics Twitter and, you know, fantasy Twitter, all, all that you just mentioned. Um, and that's because people that are actually plugged into this stuff do not have Jonathan Taylor ranked that high. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah, you know, if, you, if you're really trying to prognosticate what's going to happen, the first person that you should look at and just read all their tweets and read all their articles is, uh, is Daniel Jeremiah. And Daniel Jeremiah has him. He has him as a top 50 player, but – He's like on that 40 fringe, I believe, Um, you know, and he's not going in Daniel Jeremiah's first round mocks. Um, And, you know, that that's like your, your first clue. Now soon Gil Brandt will come out with his, his like hot 100 or hot 150, whatever. And Gil Brandt has like, is like super plugged into everything that's going on. Um, so he'll, he will be another critical like data point if you're just trying to forecast, uh, the draft, but yeah, my sense is that Jonathan Taylor, that the NFL is higher on Deandre Swift than they are on Jonathan Taylor. And, um, the opposite is true amongst like fantasy and, uh, and, uh, analytics Twitter. But yeah, how, how would you, I mean, I know those players are very different or the backs are very different, right? But Mike, how, I mean, how would you kind of compare and contrast? So I think the biggest thing with Taylor and that why he'd be, you know, in fantasy draft going 1.1 is because if you want, if you're the type of team that is going to pound the rock, like if you're the type of team like the, you know, the Titans, if you're going to feed their guy and your number one guy, you're probably going to value Taylor as the number one back in this class. Like that's probably going to be your target in this draft class because one, he's proven he can do it. And two, he's probably the best pure between the tackles, you know, sort of vision in that regard, maximizing those sort of runs in this class. Now, he's not a space player. He's not your new age, you know, despite his 4-3-9. Like, that's not where he kind of won at Wisconsin. 
he's not your sort of new age, like an Alvin Kamara type whatsoever. That is not what he brings to the table, but you can give him 300 carries and know that you'll probably get uh, production on the ground out of it. Like that is, it, he's going to, like I said, maximize every single run. Now the fumbles are an issue. Passing game is an issue, but you feel really good about a projection in that regard. Yeah. That's just such a replaceable skill, right? Oh, we're going to get a guy to be productive yeah. between the tackles, you know? And to me, that's not exciting. So the more that I've read about uh, Jonathan Taylor versus DeAndre Swift, I mean, I've seen DeAndre Swift get Alvin Kamara comps. Um, and I've seen people say DeAndre Swift is, you know, the true three down talent. And these are the running backs who I think uh, is undervalued in the fantasy community. You know, like I'm totally on board with ripping the Rams for paying Todd Gurley and and with, uh, you know, making fun of Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette. I'm not on board with saying Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey are not valuable at the NFL level. So if I'm if DeAndre Switch is actually getting Alvin Kamara comps, that is exciting to me. Do you think that's a fair comp, Mike? And do you think that DeAndre Swift actually has passed to catching like 60, 70 balls at the NFL level? I don't think he has quite that balance. I don't think he's going to break that many tackles. But in terms of getting open as a receiver, yeah, I think that's like he can just demolish linebackers one-on-one. If you get that isolated matchup, he did it even at Georgia. They'd split him out wide at times. And like you could run a good slant. Like he could get open. He could probably play slot receiver in a pinch if you really wanted to. I think that's how good his receiving ability is. So, yeah, I think that's why you're going to see the NFL be higher on him is because it's really not, you know, like the whole modern skill set for running back, all the things you ask him to do, he's going to be able to do all of it. Yeah. So, Evan, talk to me. Why wouldn't we have Swift over Taylor if his dude's going to catch 60, 70 balls? I mean, that's what that's the stuff dreams Maybe are made. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. You know, I got to go back and change. I got to go back and make the change. Uh, but yeah, let's move into the next tier of, of RBs. And I think it starts with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Mm-hmm. Um, man, this guy's interesting. Uh, speaking of Daniel Jeremiah, you know, he does the, he's the Chargers color analyst. And of course, you know, so he sees like every play of Austin Eckler and he made that comparison. Now, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is 5'7", which I don't care. I, don't, I want my running back smaller. Like, yeah, I, I legit want my running back smaller. But he ran 4'6". And so he, he's 5'7", and 4'6". And, and, I mean, he's not small. He's 207. But he's 5'7", and 4'6". And people just see that on a sheet of paper, and I feel like it creates a bias. As, and, and, that, and, like, if he goes, you know, late third round or something – he becomes a lot less interesting to us than if he goes like in the fifties. Yeah. He's, he's like a poor man's Swift from, you just got to shift without speed. Like he has all that. He has a similar receiving ability to me. The comp in the PFF draft guide was Ray Rice. And that I don't, I don't think Ray Rice is ever a burner or never winning with that, but he had really good balance. You could use him in any way you wanted to in the passing game. And he was going to break tackles and, and you could, basically be your three down back. And I think that's what Clyde Edwards Hilaire brings to the table. I think that's why, you know, he's high in Daniel Jeremiah's board. He's high on our board. I think he's very much that another guy who's a complete sort of modernish running back skill set just without that top end speed. Yeah. And I've seen some Devontae Freeman comps on Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Um we skipped over JK Dobbins. Do you think uh JK Dobbins is on the tier with Taylor and Swift or do you also think he's below uh, Edwards Hilaire, Mike. So I, I see like the top like six backs in this class as being really close. And now I'd probably the tier one would probably not include. It probably would be those three in terms of uh, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, and 
obviously Taylor for a different reason and more his running ability than his receiving ability. And then just like slightly below, but all, all very similar. I'd have JK Dobbins, Cam Akers of FSU and Zach Moss uh, of Utah. And so uh, Dobbins just has really good vision. And so he's probably the second best sort of between the tackles, you know, NFL running concepts, running back after uh, Jonathan Taylor is pr- pretty good as a receiver, but I don't think he's as dynamic. Uh, he's not terribly dynamic in space. He's not going to shake a lot of guys and make you miss. He doesn't have a ton of that. So uh, that's why I, I think DeAndre Swift, Clyde Hilaire, a little better in that regard. But I think he can also be used. J.K. Dobbins probably a little more than Jonathan Taylor could in the passing game. With Dobbins, you know, he made his mark at Ohio State really by being a, just a, a monster workhorse, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was – he had 300 carries – this past year, he had like he averaged like over 30 carries a game over the final five, but he's only 209 pounds. So, does that concern you a little bit? I thought he would come in more like 220. Like he, that's what he looked like to me on tape. But 209 is not, it's not workhorse numbers. So, uh, I mean, I'd rather at 209, I'd rather have the guy who's 5'7", 209 than you know 5'10", 5'11", 209. Like that's just a little on the slighter side, but. I, uh, I I still think he has I, – I still not that that worrisome for me. Uh, speaking of size, we have to get to A.J. Dillon because he measured in at six foot 247 and ran a 4.53. When you're talking about size-adjusted speed scores, I mean, to weigh 247 pounds and run 4.53 is big dog-esque. Evan and I have touched briefly on A.J. Dillon before after Evan returned from the Combine. AJ Dillon does not look like the kind of player to me that it fits today's NFL. He's not the kind of player that I like to take in fantasy. It's why Derrick Henry uh, shoved it down my throat last year for a ton of money when I wasn't playing Derrick Henry. But do you see AJ Dillon uh, being a fit at all in today's NFL? And where would you have him in this class? I do not. I'd be, I'm super low on AJ Dillon. To me, he's one of like, the size speed is going to get him, in my opinion, probably overdrafted. He's like 20 years too late. If you watched him do that deuce drill, which was like jumping over the bags at the combine, it looked like worse than probably me going out there with no training, going and doing the deuce drill. He just has no sort of agility. And the thing about him is he has to get up to like full speed to break tackle. So you just see him sprinting headfirst into the line of scrimmage, like into the backs of his offensive linemen again and again, because once he stops, he's just, he's toast. This guy is too big mm-hmm. to get it going. So, uh, I, I'm not a fan. Like I said, like you said, his game is not built for today's NFL. And his uh, receiving track record is reminiscent of Andre Williams, who also attended Boston College. Yeah, yeah. that's a good conference. Um, and um, yeah, I just think he's going to go in like the fourth or fifth round. And you remember how Derrick Henry waited um, like three and a half years, really, to be featured in in his offense. Like I just think that AJ Dillon is never going to get that chance unless. The only way that he would get that chance is if, like, you know, a guy in front of him gets hurt. Like, just coaches are not going to like a guy that, you know, takes forever to build momentum. You can't use him in the passing game. You know, he he's going to be dis- discarded, and I, I think maybe even out of the league, like, before his rookie deal. Okay, I so would I assume, worry about that, at least. Yeah. I assume you guys are higher on two guys we didn't mention than, uh, than A.J. Dillon, Cam Akers, uh, and Zach Moss. Uh, Zach Moss seems to be generating. I don't know if people are trying to uh, be like, hey, I found this small school guy. Let me look at me. Uh, you know, that's awesome. Or do you think Zach Moss is legit in this top tier? You mentioned your top six, Mike. Is Zach Moss 
in there with Cam Akers. Yeah, so he's just broken tackles at you know absurdly high rate over the course of his career. And not only so like David Montgomery broke tackles at a high level, but David Montgomery was super limited as an athlete. I think Zach Moss, a better athlete, fits more the size profile uh, of the NFL of a guy who's still going to break tackles at the NFL level. And like Utah, they played real competition. You know, you're playing Pac-12 defense through a little bit of a step up from Big 12 defenses. So I do think that his ability to break tackles will translate. And while he did run a 4.62, I think he's still kind of dynamic in space and his ability to make guys miss. Like he shakes guys legitimately in space. He doesn't just plow through guys despite being in the 220. So I'm a fan of his game. He's never going to be, you know, home run hitter, but I think he can be an every down back. Um, okay. Evan, any thoughts on Moss or Akers? And then we need uh, your favorite sleepers. Has. We've ripped on a couple guys, but your favorite sleeper, maybe guys going third, uh, fourth, fifth round, something like that. Well, I wanted to ask about one guy that I, I do like as a sleeper, uh, and that's Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Um, I really liked him when I watched him. Um, I, I like his versatility. Uh, but what do you think about Keyshawn? I, I think he can break tackles. What do you think about Keyshawn Vaughn? Mike? I really like Keyshawn Vaughn. He, to, he was before sort of uh, this past year, he was above Cam Akers for me on our board. And then he didn't have the greatest year this past year, but he's a really, he's a, so he has kind of that NFL vision where he's a one cut runner. He's not looking to bounce stuff out. He's, and, and he was playing behind, you almost like guys that play behind bad offensive lines in college. Cause that's more what you're going to see in the NFL. So the Vanderbilt offensive line was pretty, pretty bad. And he's still produced behind it. So I like him. Uh, he came into the combine too and had put on some weight and still ran, I think, in the four, low four fives. So uh, I'm a fan of his. Like if he goes, I think he could have a shot getting a starting job, even going probably later in the you know day three. Uh, okay, Mike, anybody day three favorite sleeper in this class, somebody that we should keep an eye on that maybe a lot of other people aren't talking about? So people are probably talking about this guy by now, but Antonio Gibson from Memphis, I mean, after what he did at the combine, but it wasn't just like combine warrior. Like when he, this guy actually played on the football field last year, he was ridiculously good. Now he has 78 touches his entire college career between wide receiver and running back. And when he did line up at running back, they only ran like outside zone sweeps. He ran one run concept, but he broke tackles. He broke on 33 rushing attempts in his career. He broke 16 tackles. Uh, and averaged something like, what was it, over 10 yards a carry, 11.2 yards a carry, uh, and it was just consistently dynamic. And then you go to the combine, oh, he runs a sub 4-4 four, four at 226 pounds. Like, there's something actually there. And, it, and he was behind, you know, Tony Pollard, Daryl Henderson. It's why he wasn't getting snaps before this. But once they figured out what they had, all of a sudden he was dominating. So I think he's a guy who probably is not going to go on day two, even though he did test off the charts, but is way more talented than the backs you're going to get on day three. Dude, how is Memphis getting all these freaking stud running backs? Like <laughs> Daryl Henderson, oh. who averaged like nine yards per carry in college. Freaking Tony Pollard, who, I mean, I think, like I love. I mean, yeah, I, he's, he's, really a, he's a baller. Um, he had like seven kickoff return touchdowns in college. And then even the Patrick Taylor dude who Gibson played behind, right? Patrick Taylor might get drafted real, real late. I, right? I don't, I don't know. I haven't, okay. I don't know enough, but. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and then Gibson uh, and Gibson, as you mentioned, he had fewer than 80 offensive touches in his entire career and he goes to the combine and just shreds it. First of all, how did he even get an invite to the combine? 
after having 77 touches in college. <laughs> he got a senior bowl invite too. Yeah. He was, wow. well, if you watch so him, people know about ridiculous. Him. Yeah, yeah, right. So people know about him. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Norval, FSU, that bodes well for them. Um, all right, last running back question for you, Mike. Uh, outside of A.J. Dillon, who do you think is the most overrated running back in this class? So to me, I was my answer to that would just be like, if you're going to draft, even if it's DeAndre Swift, just because, like I said, that tier goes about almost six, three deep. And then, like I said, six deep in terms of guys who are probably within 30 positions on our draft board. If you're drafting one of those guys in the first round when maybe Clyde Edwards Hilaire slips to the third, or maybe one of those guys slips to the third, it's just that that's over like that's overrating a guy. So I don't think uh, this is the draft where you really need to go up and get one of those guys. They're all real similar in my eyes. Uh, speaking of that, uh, I was able to get, I don't know if this bet is available on regulated books, but uh, will a running back go in the first round? Will a single running back be drafted in the first round? I was able to get a plus 230 uh today which i thought looked pretty good because i mean i don't know i it would be i think a little bit of a surprise to me at least if deandre swift or jonathan taylor went in the mm-hmm. first round but but we'll see uh evan have you heard anything on that what do you think of that bet zero running backs to go in the first round yeah i don't think that any running back is going to go in the first round yeah, um, I like that so and you're getting at that at plus 230 correct dude that's that's pretty sweet yeah i hope so okay i mean yeah not making any money now in those sports. So God, I, I, I gotta, gotta try to earn, you know what I mean? Uh, okay. Mike, you said it all. Tell the people where they can find all your stuff leading up to the draft, where they can find you on social, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Find me PFF underscore Mike on Twitter. And then we got a draft guide dropping next Monday An update. It's already out if you want to go get it, but it's going to be over 1300 pages. I want to say 300 player profiles and team pages and all this stuff that, won't find anywhere else. So it's only seven fifty. I want to say with the lowest PFF subscription, you get it with anyone. So go ahead and check that out. Cool. Yeah. Normally I would think that people writing, you know, 1500 pages on NFL prospects or on team no sex, but we know we've confirmed that that's not the case. Uh, Evan, any final words here before we get out of here, we will be back next week to talk wide receivers and tight ends with our old friend, one of Evan and I's oldest friends. Evan actually pulled this guy out of his kitchen in North Carolina. We'll be back with Josh Norris. Uh, next week to talk wide receivers and tight ends no thank you so much mike for doing this this was awesome it was fun and uh we love picking your brain and we you made everybody smarter to listen to this of course all right for evan for mike for producer luke i am adam good luck everybody Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. That was awesome. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Thanks, fellas. Can't believe you had a PFF guy on to talk running backs. What were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Should have known.